Good morning, everyone. We are in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is again with the Pharisees and Sadducees who came up to him. And, you know, these are folks that troubled Jesus mightily as he began to usher in this era of the gospel, of the era of God's grace, the era of the church, which would happen after his death, resurrection, and ultimately Pentecost. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, although different sects of Judaism are holding on to things of the law, they are not liking the prominence of Jesus or the changes that he's beginning to make, and they trouble him a great deal. So they asked him for a sign, and he's talked about this before. He doesn't necessarily uh, think highly of that demand of a sign. And he says to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red, and in the morning there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times? I think he's, you know, he's done so much already to reveal that he is from God or is even of, of God or is even God himself. Now, that is going to be difficult for everyone to comprehend in that day. But nonetheless, because of the miracles that he did, they should be showing more honorance, reverence, and be seeking to hear what he has to say. Instead, they're seeking to resist him or prove him wrong. They have the wrong heart. And, and it says, an evil and adulterous generation, Jesus said, seeks after a sign. And a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. I love how Jesus just said that, except the sign of Jonah, and then he just walks away. And makes them think, and I still don't think they're going to get it right now, but maybe after the resurrection, they will. So, you know, as Jonah, you know, it's interesting, I was thinking about Jonah this morning and that, you know, he was running from God, but then he was on a ship and the ship, there was extreme storm and they felt like somebody did something in order to bring about this storm while they were on the ship. And it came down to Jonah was fleeing God and that was the reason for the storm. So Jonah said, throw me overboard and the sea will be calm. And they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to kill him, but they did. They eventually said, fine. And they, they threw him overboard, and immediately the storm was calmed, and they were pretty amazed at that. But then Jonah got swallowed by a fish that God brought about, and he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. But then he came back to life, so to speak, right? And he was put out on the beach. So here we have Jonah saving this boat and Jesus saved us and Jesus died to save us and Jonah was thrown in the lake to save the ship but then he resurrected Jonah did and as did Jesus Jesus resurrected and that's going to be the ultimate sign is that he comes back from the dead hallelujah and Jesus does that uh you know probably two and a half years later now more actually maybe only a couple years from this moment maybe less uh, and the disciples came to the other side of the sea but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they're not understanding him. We took a look at this. I believe it was in Mark chapter 13 that a little, little leaven can ruin the whole lump of dough. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the leaven of the Pharisees. And you might remember when the Jews left Egypt way back on Passover. They were supposed to eat unleavened bread. 
it, you know, it, you have to take wait longer for the leaven to uh, make the bread rise. And unleavened bread could be made quickly. You wouldn't have to wait on that rising. And they were going to have to flee Passover immediately. So anyways, leaven has been constituted as, as something sprinkled bad among the good. And that's what he's talking about here. They began to discuss this among themselves, saying, He said that because we did not bring any bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not understand and remember the five loaves, or the five thousand, and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say to be aware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So all along he's saying, be careful about the things that they teach, because they're going to bring out some bad things that can thwart your progress or your correct knowledge as to how to follow God. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, why do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and some others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So they're confused, you know, about who Jesus is. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the anointed one, that means. Or that's the Greek version of that word. In, in Hebrew, it would be you are the Messiah, the anointed one, which uh, Old Testament scriptures talked about the Messiah or anointed one to come. And he's saying, I am him. Uh, or G Peter is saying, you are him. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because... Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So literally, Simon had received insight, Jesus is saying, from God on who Jesus really was. I also say to you that you are Peter, which is another word for rock or stone, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and let's just stop there. Now, this is a big Catholic uh, passage in the sense that ca the Catholics turn to this passage and say that Peter was anointed by Jesus to be the first pope. And now the Catholic Church comes from a successive line of popes extending all the way back to Jesus through Peter and it's as a result of this, the true church comes through Peter, the first pope uh, and the first you know, bishop, so to speak, of Rome. And unfortunately, uh, that none of that it has anything in the Bible. So Peter, later on, in uh, first or second Peter, I can't remember which, he calls himself a fellow elder. He, he does not call himself a bishop. He does not call himself a pope. He never takes that title. In fact, he just calls himself a fellow elder, which would be like, you know, a fellow elder leader of the church, but a fellow one. Like he's not setting himself out to be. The beauty of Christianity is that God took fishermen like Peter, 
and use them for the glory of God. We are a kingdom of priests, the, the New Testament calls us. In several locations, Peter calls us a kingdom of priests. The Apostle John calls us a kingdom of priests. This is something that God has done, is he has raised up the common man to become followers of him. And the beauty of Christianity is not a top-down hierarchy, beginning with a pope. It's a bottom-up raising up of the common men like fishermen to be followers of Jesus, to be used as his ministers, his kingdom of priests. There is not a priest in the entire New Testament church. There's not one single one mentioned. There's not one pope mentioned in the, all of the New Testament Bible. So that is a, those are traditions okay, that the Catholic Church brought up, and then they passed on those traditions as though it was biblical. And, and the Catholic Church was based on these early church father traditions based on hearsay of what they said they got from Peter. But yet when Peter wrote his letters that we have in the New Testament, they said nothing of what the Catholic Church said as far as the pattern and method of and hierarchy of the Catholic Church. You, you just see the opposite of that in the Scripture. So the earliest form of Christianity is not Catholicism. The earliest form of Christianity is what we're reading right here, what we're writing, reading in the Gospels, what we're reading in the Book of Acts, what we're reading in Paul's and, and Peter's epistles. That comes way before there's any denomination, before there's any uh, uh, named church. You know, Jesus didn't create Baptists. He didn't create Methodists. He didn't create Lutherans. He didn't create Catholics. He created followers of him, and he created Christianity, Christians. He created followers of the way it was called. But it wasn't a denomination, and it wasn't based on traditions. And we should go back to Jesus and the earliest form of Christianity found in the scriptures. And if you do that, you will be doing what's best and what's right. Now, with all of that, listen to this passage, and it's one of the more challenging ones. Uh, Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should not tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, this bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, Peter is an extension of us because he was a fellow elder, a fellow churchman, a special one, an apostle. But what Peter is, is sharing the kind of power that is available on earth to believers. Now, somehow, listen, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to overdo this passage. I wouldn't try to base all of my doctrine on this passage, but it is spoken by our Lord, and it is something that we should take. But it's saying that, you know, if there's something that you see as a man of God or woman of God, that is evil, sinful, and needs to have no part of your life, you should bind that on earth and be like, you know what, away from me, I'm not, that's bad. And, and, and you have the power to declare something as evil, that's evil. And also it says, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And may God's goodness be loosed. May God's love be loosed. May his spirit be loosed. May our good deeds be loosed. Um, and, and 
I think at times the power that we have on earth, we underestimate. And that when we are walking in unison in the spirit and in unity with God's word, there's great, uh, great power in that. And, and he, he wants us to be aware of that. And, you know, he wanted Peter to be aware of that. Now, indeed, Peter was going to be a very vocal leader. You know, he was an outspoken guy. And, and God changed him to use that leadership and outspokenness for the Lord. I mean, he was the first to get up on Pentecost and, and say, you know, you guys killed the Christ, and what are we to do? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, and thousands got baptized. So, indeed, Peter was a leader and someone that God wanted to use, and praise God for that, but he wants to use you too. And uh, I, I, we need to become more confident in our Lord and Savior and realize that when we're walking in unison with him, there's great power in that. All right. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day, just like he said about the sign of the son of Jonah. And here we see Peter getting ahead of himself again. So Peter took him, Jesus, aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. You know, Jesus, Peter's trying to be like a supporter of Jesus. He's trying to say, no, Jesus, we're not going to let you die. We're not going to let anything happen to you. Not, and Peter just has no idea that that's what's supposed to happen. Jesus needs to give his life. He needs to be Jonah for us. And that's God's plan. And, you know, Jesus doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to He doesn't want anyone in his ear trying to talk him out of going to the cross. So he turned and said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. And you know, Jesus just, just, just doesn't want to hear any of this. In fact, it would have been good for Satan, for Jesus to not go to that cross. Because he came in on that cross, he said, it is finished. The thing he came to do, to be the Lamb of God, to die for the sins of the world, and then usher in this age of the Spirit, he needed to go through the cross and he needed Peter to not talk him out of it. And he gave strong words because that's how determined Jesus was to go to the cross. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his, whole, his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now let's just stop there for a moment. It's calling for a real followership of Jesus. Uh, a real devotion, a real change, a real change of priority and interest. And I think we need to rebuke casual Christianity. I think we need to rebuke this idea of, well... Yes, I believe in Jesus now, and I'm born again. But really, my devotion, my interests, my focus is no different than it was before. It would be like a Christianity without a transformation. And you know, you know what that does? The example that that sets is it teaches people to come to Christ and say, well, you really don't have to change that much. In fact, you can look a lot like the world. In fact, let's make the church look more like the world. And we're supposed to be a light to the world. You know, the old is gone, the new has come. 
And we are supposed to undergo a spiritual transformative change. And then now our purpose and our devotion and, and what our life stands for has changed. It's not the same anymore. And, you know, I think, Lord help me, but like, I think as a father of his children, I think Jesus knows we still have a life that we're going to live. There's still going to be things that, you know, certain people might enjoy sewing or running or the outdoors or hunting or, as you know, in my case, golf. But I would say this, listen, your life should demonstrate that Jesus Christ lives inside of you. And if God blesses you and, and allows you as his father to enjoy some things in life, praise God for that, but even give God glory for that. But man, I tell you what, may the number one thing that you are known for in your life is that you are a follower, a transformed follower of Jesus Christ, that you are living a new life and that you are giving an example of what it means to be a born-again Christian and that's what we're to be. Amen. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father and his angels, and then will repay every man according to his deeds. Now, that's that's interesting, you know. Talked about it quite a bit, but there's the reward of heaven for believing him, and then there's rewards in heaven for how we live for him. And we're going to be repaid and rewarded for how we live for Jesus one day. It may even be a crown or an award that we get to lay back at the Savior's feet in heaven one day. Uh, you can you know read about that in Revelation, and we'll be doing that soon. But um, you know what? We should live for the reward. We should live a life that that we want to hear, well done. And you know what? We know we need God's grace and His His forgiveness too for the mistakes that we have made or will make in our lives. But may demonstrably we have a changed life. Truly, I say to you. There are some of you who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And I believe that prophecy there or statement about the second coming is written in the Gospels right prior to the Transfiguration, which is going to be a really special scene uh, that, the, that the disciples are going to see, some of them high up on a mountain. And we're going to read about that very soon. But I believe that that passage there is more in reference to the transfiguration that's going to come. Because indeed, they did not taste death to see the transfiguration. And it's interesting that, as we see in Matthew right here, this, comes, this statement comes immediately prior to the transfiguration that takes place. So, uh, anyways... What a chapter, man, that was uh, packed with rich things to discuss, and I hope it was a blessing to you and a blessing to our walk with Christ. God bless you all.